Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Layla's story is unique in its specifics uh, in losing her dad and losing her dad to cancer in the specifics of trying to cope with all of that and then trying to help her family cope as a result of that. But in, in a lot of ways at the same time, Layla's story is our story. It's your story. It's my story. It's a story of thirst. It's the story of need. It's not just physical thirst, but emotional and spiritual thirst as well. Her story is our story. The story of needing more, of trying to get it, of finding that you can't get it on your own, that sooner or later what is taking place, uh, 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 what, what, what you need is, is being kept from you by the world or, or is made harder for you by the world. It's the story of, of, of the thirst that when you address it the wrong way brings worry. It brings failed attempts to control, to provide, to try to make life work. It's, a, it's our story. It's the story of a, of a human race that is continually thirsty. And so today we want to take a passage of scripture that talks about thirst and, off, and as well look at an often misunderstood provision of God for it. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 7. We'll be looking this morning at verses 37, 38, and 39 of John chapter 7. John chapter 7, beginning of verse 37, the scripture says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified, had not been raised, had not yet been exalted. Now, Father, we bless you for your word this morning. We bless you that you meet us here. You meet us here in your word by your spirit. We thank you, Father, that In the midst of our thirst, you meet us. That uh, your heart for us in this passage is that we might understand the depth of our own thirst, the kind, the quality of it, and that you might uh, be given space to show us that you are yourself the answer to that thirst. I pray, Father, that as we come away from our time together around your word, that we would come away from it different from, from the way we came to it, I pray, Father, that we might understand you better. I pray that we might love you more. I pray, Father, that even in this moment, you might give us ears to hear what our minds and our hearts need to understand, not just about the world and not just about humanity, Father, but about us personally. May it be so. For Jesus' sake, I pray and ask it. Amen and amen. Now, if we're gonna understand this passage, There are a couple of things we've got to understand. First, we need to understand this whole concept of thirst as uh, the Bible describes it for us and as Jesus uses it here. 
Old Testament and New Testament, everyone who lived in uh, the, uh, the, the uh, centuries in which the Bible records uh, all that God did, those people lived in arid lands without modern water systems. So the people of the Bible were acutely aware of the pain and the real dangers of being without water. Thirst could be frightening, thirst could be deadly. And so where it's a temporary discomfort for us, we, we're thirsty, we, we go to a water fountain, it could be a serious, serious condition for them. That's why the Israelites, for example, in the wilderness complained to Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? We, we, we left Egypt, there was plenty of water, we go into this new land, there's no water. Why did you do that? This is dangerous, this is not healthy, this is not good. The Old New Testaments at the same time recognize that God is ultimately the one who can satisfy or quench thirst, both physical thirst and spiritual thirst. Spiritual thirst in particular is a spiritual dissatisfaction. It, it comes to us as a kind of a, a nagging, a longing, an emptiness on the inside that very often we try to fill with stuff from the outside, but it's there. It's something we can't escape from. We try, but we don't succeed. It is in reality a longing for God. We don't always recognize it, but it is in reality a longing for God because we were made for him. And when we're not living life with him, connected to him, we sense that emptiness. It is deep and it is actually a soul thirst that comes with real soul pain. It is an ache we cannot relieve, though we do try and try and try. In God's economy, and this is important for me to show you, important for me to say to you this morning, in God's economy, uh, thirst is something God uses. This spiritual thirst is something God uses. It's always the first step to coming to faith. When a person comes to a saving knowledge and faith of Jesus Christ, it always begins with a thirst. It always begins with an emptiness. It always begins with a sense of need. It's why we come to Christ. It's because we are convinced of his love and of our need for his love. And so we go to him. We're convinced of our sin and our and and our need of forgiveness. And so we go to him. There is always a thirst, always a hunger that drives us ultimately to Christ, drives us to God and his grace. But at the same time, and this is important, if you're a believer, it is thirst that moves you forward in your spiritual growth as well. God uses spiritual and, and uh, emptiness to dis to drive us to discover his grace, whether we are, are lost and need Christ or whether we found Christ and need to grow deeper in our relationship with him. God uses spiritual emptiness, particularly when believers drift away from him. He uses that spiritual emptiness that just increases the farther we drift from our fellowship with him to draw us back to him and his grace. It's important to say too that God never, and the Lord Jesus never condemns spiritual thirst or spiritual hunger. He never condemns it. He never says you should not feel it. In fact, what he does say is, he says in a form of a promise, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. So he doesn't condemn it. He makes a promise regarding it, but while spiritual thirst is never condemned, the wrong methods that we often use to try to fill it, that's a different story. 
That's a different story altogether. And we're warned against all those other methods because they do not work. Now, our focus passage for the morning from John 7 introduces, if you'll look with me in verse 37, the last day of a feast. And if we're really going to understand the passage and the message of the passage, we've got to understand this feast and all of the activities leading up to this momentous event uh, where Jesus cries out to the thirsty and says, come to me, come to me and drink. Uh, the feast that's mentioned here is one of seven feasts that God gave to the nation of Israel. It's identified for us, look in verse one, as the feast of booths or the feast of shelters. This celebration was the last of, of the fall festivals. It was held at the end of the agricultural year when the grapes and the olives were all harvested in Israel and brought together. So it was a time initially to thank God for the preceding year's provision and to pray for a good rainy season in the season that was coming ahead. But actually, for God's people, it meant far more than that. God had commanded this feast in the Old Testament as a means of helping his people to do two things. First, to help them remember his faithful provision for them when, after he had set them free from Egypt, you may know the story, set them free from slavery in Egypt, they rebelled against him once they crossed over and then they were forced to wander around in the wilderness for some 40 years until they all died out. They had to live in tents or they had to live in shelters. In spite of that, God provided for them manna and God provided them water twice. The scripture says when they ran short of water and their lives were endangered, God brought them water from a rock. Moses struck a rock, water came. Twice that happened. And so God says, I want you to have a feast in the fall and I want you to remember the time when you rebelled against me and yet I was still gracious to you. The time you said no to me and I was still kind to you. You had to wander because of your choice, but I never failed you. I never let you down. I provided manna for you. I provided water for you. I want you always to remember. So I want you to look back during this feast. I want you to see it, but also I want you to look ahead. I want you to look forward. This was, this was another purpose of this feast of booths. God says, I want you to look forward to what I'm going to do and not just back at what I have done. I want you to look forward to some promised days. I've got some days for you coming. They're the days of the Messiah when, when there are going to be a better life-giving provisions of water that will come from me that you'll enjoy. There are days coming when the promised Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on all people. And so God says things like this in Isaiah 43. God says, behold, listen, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Don't you see it? I'm going to make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, I, 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 because I will give water in the wilderness. I will give rivers in the desert. I I will give drink to my chosen people. There's coming a day when the people whom I formed for myself 
will come to me, will, will drink freely, and they will declare my praise. In Ezekiel 36, God promises the day when he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I'll give you a new heart. And I'll give you a new spirit. I, I'm going to put that in you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my own spirit within you. And I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Not because you have to, but because you want to. I'm going to give you a brand new way of life. I'm going to give you a brand new way of thinking. I'm going to give you a brand new way of feeling. I'm going to give you a brand new way of looking at all things. I'm going to give you a new mind. I'm going to give you a new heart. And I'm going to create in you uh, the, the, uh, uh, the opportunity to be everything you were supposed to be. And to make sure that happens, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. He will live inside of you. And obeying me and living for me and walking with me will be a joy. Will be a joy. So... During this seven-day feast, the people would gather in Jerusalem from all over the nation, and they would set up thousands of temporary shelters to live in for the week. And they would spend those seven days celebrating God's faithful provision in the past and thinking on his promised provisions for the future. One part of the feast that's particularly important for us as we come to this passage was a daily ceremony where water would be drawn from the pool of Siloam and then poured out at the temple altar. This also pointed backward. It was a reminder of the blessings God had given when Moses drew water from the rock, but it also pointed forward saying, a better water is coming, a better water is coming. And on the seventh day, and this is perhaps the most important, on the seventh day or the last day of the celebration, the water ceremony went to a whole new level. On this final day, the celebrants would gather. They would go down to, the, to Siloam, gather up water, and then they would come back to the altar and they would process around the altar seven times before the water would be poured out on the altar. Seven times, very significant for them. Do you know why? Seven is a symbol of what in the Bible? City. What? Completion. Completion. You're right, you get A plus and a gold star on your way out today. It was a symbol of completion. Everything, everything that you need to satisfy is coming. There is a water coming that will be complete. So it's a dramatic reminder of the promise that one day a better water from God is coming. And so it's on this great day. Look again at verse 37. Do you see it on the, on the feast, on the great day? It, it was on this day where you have this circling of the altar seven times. That this dramatic reminder of the promise that one day a better water from God would come. It was on this, this day, this great day, and perhaps at this very moment, that Jesus dramatically stands up and cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, I want us to look at Jesus' words carefully this morning. Here we have an urgent invitation. We have an urgent invitation made to a specific people to whom he offers a special promise. We have an urgent invitation, a specific people, and a special 
promise. I wanna look at all three of those today. I wanna start with the second one first, just to mix you up and, and to keep you with me. I wanna look at the special people. Look at verse 37, or specific people. Look at the people that Jesus is addressing. To whom is he speaking? All right, all right. Here's this grand ceremony, seven times around the altar. Uh, every, the, the, the moment is a high moment, and Jesus stands up and says, come to me and drink. Who is he speaking to? Look at verse 37. The scripture says to the thirsty, to anyone who is thirsty. That's his appeal. Notice that Jesus addresses this one particular group, those who have this condition of thirst. Now, the word here is a strong word. It doesn't mean that you're conscious of a limited amount of thirst and that you'd be glad for a drink of water to settle it down. I found as I was preaching this sermon in the first service, I got thirstier and thirstier as I preached. The more you talk about water, the more thirsty you get. This is more than that. That's not what this is talking about. Rather, this, is, this, this word for thirst describes a person who feels they cannot go on. They, they cannot live if they don't have this thirst dealt with. It's the kind of thirst that will not leave you alone, will not leave you be. It is so real, so deep that it stays right at the front of your attention and you can't deny it. So this thirst is, isn't used literally, but it's used figuratively for that deep desire for something more inside. But who is Jesus addressing here? Who's he speaking to here? Jesus in making this call to come and drink appeals to anyone who is thirsty. But this means that while his call is open, he isn't speaking to everyone. He's speaking to people who are thirsty. He, and he isn't just speaking to all the thirsty either. For a person can be thirsty and not know it. You can be profoundly thirsty and try to satisfy your thirst with something other than water. He's not speaking to those people. I've, I uh, have heard from dietitians that one of the problems people have when they're trying to lose weight is they can't, they can't tell the difference between thirst and hunger. They will feel thirst and read it as hunger. And so they eat more instead of drinking more. I uh, had a dietitian in the first service. She confirmed this is correct. So I, I, I feel better having an official word on the matter. I had heard that, but now I know it to be true. That's one of our problems. That's one of our problems spiritually. We are thirsty spiritually, and we very, very, very often try to satisfy that thirst that we have with something other than the water that we need. Jesus is speaking to anyone who is thirsty, but he's speaking to anyone who is thirsty who knows they're thirsty. Not to those who are spiritually thirsty and don't know it. Why? Well, because they feel satisfied temporarily with material things or by certain physical or economic conditions in the moment. And consequently, they don't feel the need to hear what Jesus is offering. They don't believe they need him or his water. And so his words just fall on deaf ears. Jesus isn't speaking to all the thirsty. He isn't speaking to all the thirsty because some don't know they're thirsty but he isn't speaking to all the thirsty, even to even those who know they are. Some people thirst, they realize it. They'll tell you, I'm thirsty, I'm searching, I'm hungering for something. But they identify the wrong water as the way to satisfy it. They drink that water. 
But the one group Jesus is speaking to is the thirsty who know they're thirsty, who know from personal experience they can't find satisfaction. These are the people he's speaking to. These are the people he's speaking to. These are the people who we could use the words from Isaiah. These are, these are the people who have spent all they have on that which isn't water. They've tried everything and still they're thirsty and they know they're thirsty and they know they don't have an answer. They spent their life's labor for that which doesn't satisfy. They're the ones who are ready to, to listen diligently. They're the ones who are thirsty for what is truly good, for what can truly satisfy. These are the, those who are Jesus intended audience. And I wanna say something to you just as an aside. This is the audience for every soul winner, every person who would seek to lead other people to Christ. These are the people you're looking for. The reason why you can share the gospel and some people will tell you no or blow you off is because they either A, don't know that they're thirsty or B, they know they're thirsty, but they're convinced that something else they found is going to fill that void in their lives. But here's the reality of the matter. The reality of the matter is you can never know who they are, but there are always people in our lives who are thirsty, who know they're thirsty, who have tried everything they know to try and know they cannot satisfy their thirst on their own. They are the ones who are ready to hear. They are the ones who are ready to listen. They are the ones who are ready to say yes. The problem is identifying who they are among all the thirsty people in the world. The, the, the fact of the matter is, Soul winning involves sharing the gospel of a lot of people. You can share the gospel 10 times and only see one person come to faith. A lot of us will share the gospel three times. Three times people say, no, I'm not interested. And we give up and say, well, it doesn't work anymore. He isn't saving people anymore. or I'm not doing it right or whatever. No, 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 no. No, that's not the case. That's not the case. Part of being a soul winner is living your life looking for thirsty people trying to identify them and then taking the risk that every thirsty person you've ever found that, that, that uh, you come into to contact with, that that thirsty person may know they're thirsty. And if they do, they may be ready to hear the good news about Jesus. Jesus said, listen, there are always people around us who are ready to hear about me. There will always be people ready. There is a harvest. That harvest is white. Pray, he said, that the laborers would come into the harvest because there are people who are ready. There are people ready around you, people ready around me to say yes to the gospel. But we have to be willing to look for the thirsty, share the gospel with the thirsty, and keep pressing on when those who are thirsty tell us no because they think they found something better. Sooner or later, you'll find the one and you will make an eternity's worth of difference in their lives. So in this passage, Jesus is speaking to the thirsty who know they're thirsty and know they can't satisfy their thirst. But notice his invitation to them in verse 37. The scripture says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You'll notice that Jesus stands up, he speaks, he cries out. There's an urgency and earnestness here that's coming from him. Why? Well, because he's motivated by love at its deepest and its best. He knows eternity is on the line. And what Jesus is saying desperately needs to be heard clearly by those who are willing to hear it. And so he cries out, it must have been an extreme 
extraordinary moment in that uh, Feast of Booths for Jesus at just that moment to stand up and cry out and say, I'm the water. Come to me and drink. Now understanding what this coming to Jesus and drinking means for the thirsty is is helped when we had examined an earlier almost identical call from God in Isaiah, in Isaiah 55. And what we discover here is that Jesus' appeal isn't a new one. He's actually repeating something that has already been said. For God cries out to his people in Isaiah 55 and says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you spend your money on on things that will never satisfy you? Why do you spend your labor for that which doesn't satisfy? Why do you invest your life in things that don't satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. I have it for you. Delight yourselves in rich food. I have it for you. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. This is why Jesus is so urgent about this. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant like I made with David, a covenant of steadfast, sure love. And so Jesus stands crying out the same things. Come to me and drink. And so this was a powerful invitation to those who first heard it. What he's saying here is, he's saying that I'm the fulfillment of God's promise of a far better water, a far better water than Moses could ever provide in the desert. I'm offering myself as God's answer to the hope that this whole festival expresses. I am the hope that the the water ceremony points to. I'm the fulfillment of the more profound hope expressed on this last day for the better water to come, the water that completely satisfies human thirst. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Moses struck the rock and living water poured out and it it preserved physical life in a dry and a desolate place. But I've come into a dry and desolate world to pour myself out, to preserve human life forever. So this was a powerful invitation to the first hearers. But you know, for us, as we're living on the other side of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, it's an even more powerful invitation. We know that Jesus himself has come and he's made a new covenant with God on our behalf by making himself the perfect sacrifice. We know that because of his sacrifice, he can offer the water that truly satisfies, which people are searching for. It ends the search for that which is not bread and that which does not satisfy. 
We know that Jesus is offering the spiritually thirsty the chance to drink without cost. That he's, what he's offering comes as a gift. It comes from God's grace. He's offering the chance to be radically changed by the sheer grace and the steadfast love of God. We know that Jesus is the only proven source of the water that all people need. And we know what his first hearers didn't realize on that great day, that the day was coming when Jesus would be on a cross. Wow, I, hadn't, I, hadn't, I had never seen this before. I had never seen this before. But it struck me that on the cross, Jesus cried out, I thirst. They raised up something for him to drink and he wouldn't take it. This man's solution to the thirst that he had would not work. I thirst. Whose thirst did he have? Mine. Yours. It strikes me as such a powerful picture when on the cross, they took the spear, ran it into his side. Moses struck a rock and water came. Jesus was struck and out of his side came blood and water. Blood for forgiveness. Water for a brand new way of life. And you hear the echoes of Jesus on the feast, at the Feast of Booths. If you're thirsty, come to me. Here I, here I am. He was proved to be the greater rock from, from the one Moses struck. And so Jesus invites all who know that they're thirsty and can't find anything to satisfy their awful thirst to come to him and drink. And he still makes that offer. But the question is, how do you do that? How do you come to him and drink? Jesus tells us plainly, look at verse 38, with faith. He says, the ones who answer his invitation and come to him are those who, Jesus says, believe in me. Now, I've taught you this over and over again. This isn't just a matter of, of, of correct belief about Jesus. This is a correct belief about Jesus joined to a deep trust in and dependence on Jesus that says to him, here is my life, you lead, I'll follow. Here is my life, I have nowhere else to go. I have been thirsty, I have tried this, and I have tried that, and I cannot make life work, I cannot control it, I can't outworry it, I can't outstrategize it, I can't do it. So here is my life. You lead, I'll follow. Here is my life. You point me in the direction that I should go. I have nowhere else to go. To whom should I go? You have the words of life. But just what is this water that Jesus offers and that those who believe drink? And how does this water come? To answer that question, Jesus points to a special promise. We find it in verses 38 and 39 where the scripture says, Jesus 
said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, what is that? Look at the explanation in verse 39. Now he said this about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. John explains that the offer of Jesus in verse 38 in verse 39 is the spirit. He says that Jesus offer of living water is pointing to the promise of the spirit that those whom believed in him were to receive. So the Holy Spirit is a gift Jesus gives to the thirsty to satisfy them. Now, it's important that the Holy Spirit is a gift that can't be received without belief and that the Holy Spirit is a gift that couldn't or wouldn't be given until Jesus had been glorified or had ascended, been exalted, enthroned in, a, in heaven. The, Jesus said, my father's going to send another helper like me, but he cannot come till I go. That's why I have to go. It's good for you that I go because the Spirit of God is coming. But why? The purpose of his coming, Jesus said in John 16, would be to glorify me because he will, and this is important, he will take what is mine and he's gonna declare it to you. He's gonna take what is mine and he's going to declare it to you. Or, or put another way, the Holy Spirit will come to believers to mediate the real presence of Jesus to them or to make Jesus real and glorious in their experience by showing their hearts and their minds the living Jesus as he really is now, vindicated, enthroned, and victorious. So in John 16 and in our passage, Jesus points us to the very essence of the Holy Spirit's work today among believers. The one essential activity he performs that functions in our lives like rivers of living water spilling over so that we never thirst. And his one essential ministry is that of just being present. He is present, working in us to mediate the presence of Christ to us. In other words, he makes Christ real to us. He makes known the personal presence of the risen, reigning Savior in and with every believer that he indwells and in the church. It's why when the church gathers, Christ is here in a very special, very particular way. He meets us and this is the way, and I want you to see this, this is the way that the Spirit of God comes as a gift and becomes for us rivers of living water spilling out. This is the way the Spirit of God uh, comes to bless us. He comes with his presence, his presence. God's provision for our thirst is his presence. We were made for him. The only thing that's going to satisfy us is him. That's a good one. Go with him. Jesus. God's provision for our thirst is his presence in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Christ incarnate could not. Christ in the flesh could not be with every single believer. But the spirit of Jesus, the, 
the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, when Christ had ascended and the Spirit was given, he could be. The great blessing of God is that his Spirit comes and lives in us. And because he does three things are continually being offered to every genuine believer. The Holy Spirit, first of all, blesses believers with the experience of personal fellowship with Jesus. Even though he isn't physically present among us as believers today, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, Christ is directly represented to us by the Spirit as he is, as a Lord on on his heavenly throne, as our maker, as our friend, with the goal of our ongoing pursuit of him. The Spirit, and I love this, the Spirit will take the word of God and make the the son of God live in our minds and our hearts before our very eyes. Have you ever met God in his word? Have you ever met God in his truth? I'm telling you, it is the most amazing thing when the spirit of God begins to show you the son of God as he is in the word of God. There is this extraordinary, extraordinary experience of the glory of the beauty of who Jesus is. The more you see of him, the more you want of him, the more you want to be with him and follow him in response to his present and real and unfailing love for us. The more we see Christ, the more we encounter him with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the help of the word, the more we find ourselves truly worshiping and adoring and celebrating and owning his presence. This is what allows Christians to say, not just, I know about Jesus from the past and I'm expecting to see him in the present, but I walk with him today. It's what allows believers to say, I met him this morning. I had a good conversation with him this morning. When I was in trouble and I was facing difficulty, I had an opportunity to talk to the master about it. I had an opportunity to meet him. I had an opportunity to hear from him. I had an opportunity to fellowship with him. I have a living, risen Christ who is always with me because the spirit of God resides inside of me. I don't worship an idea. I serve a risen Savior. He's not only in the world today, but he is in me today. Oh, and that gives me great encouragement when life is hard. Gives me great caution when sin shows up. I become really careful because I know wherever I take myself, I take Christ with me by his spirit. Are you with me? 
And I have to be more careful, don't I? Shouldn't I? Shouldn't I be more careful with my life, my mind, my heart, my hands, my feet, where I go, what I do, what I say, how I say it? Shouldn't I? Shouldn't I? If I have Christ with me? Secondly, the Holy Spirit not only blesses believers with the experience of personal, real fellowship and communion with Christ, but he blesses the believers with the personal transformation of their character into Christ's character. The Holy Spirit not only presents Christ to us over and over again for personal fellowship, but as he does, he also works to use what we see and come to know about Christ to shape and remake us like him. And as we behold him, we become more like him. As the Holy Spirit helps us to look to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith, he causes us to be more faithful. As the Holy Spirit redirects us again and again to look to Christ for grace and strength as we live our lives, we find his grace and strength and help in time of need over and over again. By the Holy Spirit, we learn from Christ how to lay down our lives for others, and we find in him the power and the cleansing we need from self in order to do that. It takes a work of God for me to lay myself down to serve you, but it's possible in Christ because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works to move us out of ourselves and into the extraordinary life of holiness and service that Christ has for us. You know the Spirit of God is working to transform your character when your mindset is more of him, less of me. More of him, less of me. Third, the Holy Spirit blesses us not only with personal transformation, in personal fellowship, but with personal assurance. The assurance of being loved, the assurance of being redeemed, the assurance of being adopted through Christ into the Father's family. And it's in this way that we grow to know with certainty that we are now for a fact, along with all the saints, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. I cannot tell you how important it is that you and I be on our guard against grieving the Holy Spirit and quenching the Holy Spirit because if we grieve him and quench him, then we miss out on this all-important work of assurance. Now listen, hear me now. When we grieve the Spirit of God, it is because we've allowed sin to come in our, into our lives where he is. And he is grieved because he is a he is the Holy Spirit, and where, where he is, sin breaks his heart. We've got to be on our guard against quenching the Holy Spirit. When we quench the Holy Spirit, what we're doing is we are resisting him, or we're neglecting him. We're ne resisting him or neglecting him in his work as being present in our lives to represent Christ. When I, when I don't make a regular habit of spending time in his word and meeting him in the morning, I am neglecting Christ. When the spirit of God begins to work in my life and begins to prompt me to take this step or that step and I tell him no, I'm resisting him, I'm quenching him. 
And the sad thing about it is that when we resist or quench the spirit of God, what happens is that river, those rivers of, of living water that were meant to overflow and satisfy us and satisfy our thirst and, and give to us a living sense of the risen Christ and do the work of changing and transforming us. And, and, and that those blessings, part of those blessings are this assurance that I'm loved, this assurance that I'm saved, this assurance that, that my future is secured in Christ. All of those things begin to drift to the edge of my life so that they become almost unreal. Have you ever been there? And suddenly we find ourselves thirsting for things that don't satisfy, trying things that don't satisfy when we know better. But oh, our hearts can get so hard. I'll tell you why we, we need this assurance. This is where the joy comes from. when I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves me. When I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he has me in the palm of his hand. When I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he not only has me there, but no one can take me out of his hand. When I know that I'm part of a family, I've been adopted in, but nobody can take me out. When I know that. There is a joy that no trouble, no hardship, no brokenness can take away. I know who I am. I know whose I am. I know where I am. And I know where I'm going. And the ground underneath my feet is as solid as the cross of Christ. And I cannot be moved. Even in the hardest times. Life with Christ is not always easy. But it can always be sure. Life with Christ is not always easy but it can always know joy. The Holy Spirit, as he works, says to me again and again, you've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. You are his. You're safe. You're loved. You're wanted. You're delighted in. You're never alone. 
You're never on your own. He means it when he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never abandon you. People may abandon you. I never will. People will let you down. I never will. Things may be hard in the present. Things may be heavy in the present. Things may be horrible in the present. But none of that will keep you from my better tomorrow. I have you. my grace rest in my love be confident in my power know wherever you are wherever you go I'm with you and I will not let you go Jesus stands and says, come to me, drink. And for some of us in this room, we've never come thirsty at the end of ourselves to the living God of the universe and said to him, I must have you because I cannot make it without you. Today is a day. Christ stands and he cries out to you, come. If you know you're thirsty, come to me and drink. How? By faith. Trusting that his death on the cross was for you and your sin. Owning your sin. And saying to him, you lead, I'll follow. That's not all Jesus is saying today because he, it is very possible that in this room there are believers who've drifted away from him. been drinking water from other wells. Some of those wells are wells that you used to drink from before you came to Christ. And 
Jesus stands and he says to you, why are you there? Was my cross not enough? My, my blood and water poured out, why are you there? Why are you living as if your life was a matter of that and not me? And to you, Jesus stands and says, not come and drink. He says, come back. Come back. Come back to me. Some of you right now, you feel a struggle in your heart because you know the reality is you did drift, you have drifted, you are drifting. And the water you've been drinking have not been the water from the wells he supplies. There's a struggle going on in your heart right now because you're not the man you should be. You're not the woman you should be. You're not the student you should be. And you know that. And it's because there's been in your life some other kind of thirst that has risen up and taken the focus of your life. It's not been Jesus. And you feel that struggle. Jesus says, come back. invite you to stand all across the room. As God by his spirit is working right now, I am fully aware some, some in this room, the spirit of God is actually working in and confronting right now, making some things very real. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're a follower of Jesus and you can hear him, the living Christ, say to you, come back to me. I want to ask you to take this moment right here, right now, and own whatever it is that has gotten between you and your master, whatever it is that you've been drinking from, depending on to make life work, to make life real, to make life worth living. I'm asking you here and now to confess that and to leave it here in this room and turn from it, to repent from it, and come back to him and say to him, you are my all in all. You are my only water. There is no. There is nothing else for me but you. There are some in this room today who need to give all of their lives to all that Christ is. And today you would say, I'm going to give all of me to the one who died for me. And if that is you today with no one else looking around, you would say today, today I must, I am so thirsty. I am so empty and I have tried 
all I know to try, but today I need what only God in Christ can give. And I'm ready to receive it. I want to ask you, with no one else looking around, just to slip your hand up in the air and say, I want the water Jesus gives. I want the water Jesus gives. Okay, 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 okay. I want the water Jesus gives. Father, I thank you that by your spirit you've worked today. I'm grateful for all that you're doing in the life of our church and in the life of individuals. How thankful, how grateful we are for this gift of your Holy Spirit who makes the risen Christ real, molds and shapes us to be like him, and who assures us of your great love for us. Thank you, Father, for Jesus' sake. Amen and amen. For those of you who raised your hands, I'm going to give you some quick instructions. Now, it's one thing to raise your hand while you're seated or standing, as it were, in a worship center. It's another thing to take the next step and follow through. But I want to challenge you to take your next step and follow through. What does that look like? That means, Nathan, okay. I saw we got got some young people who have raised their hands. So that means meeting me or meeting Nathan out in the lobby, you come and just let us know you're ready to take that step. And it would be our joy to help you take that step. It is for this very step that Jesus was so urgent. Eternity hangs in the balance, right? This matters. Don't miss what God's doing and done in your heart and your life today. Thank you, Nathan. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.